Hello and welcome back to Christianity Commandeered. I'm your host, Dan Hayward. We've been a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, that's mainly because I had decided to stop doing the show and my good buddy Brandon has uh, many things going in his life. Uh, one of those being he has his new brewery up and going in Spokane, uh, Uprise. Uh, so that's pretty busy. Uh, he has a lot going on there and it takes a lot to get off the ground so if you're looking for a great place to go and even family oriented uh, head over to uprise this is just off maple uh, really just right off the bridge up there by the new kendall yards uh, housing developments uh, that overlook the river uh, so to get back to it um, the impetus for me coming back and uh, put on another show was uh, that someone reached out to me said they really uh, looked forward to hearing the show and and just the topics we cover uh, so i decided i'll see how it goes as I try to do some more of these. We definitely have a lot of content we just didn't get to. Um, also, there's uh, another great podcast. Um, it's called The Deconstructing Mamas. Um, I post a lot of their material uh, because it's awesome. It's really pointed. They have a lot of resources and time and energy being put into it. And they touch on a lot of topics like these, uh, similar in the vein of looking down at your children and thinking, you know, how, how can I help them process at that age and what the future would be like for them if they learn the Bible this way or hear this Bible verse. Uh, so they're very helpful. Uh, so you should look those look up that podcast. Uh, so for today, I, I wanted to cover one that's very dear to my heart, uh, one that's very troubling and uh, has really just been hurtful in the community of Christ uh, for a long time. Um, it, it touches on purity culture, but it really most pointedly, uh, I'm maybe talking more about what the effect is on, on the side of women uh, their treatment and the direction of uh, basically how they're supposed to live their lives as kind of quite different than than men. Um, so I was, this is kind of a mixed message by Moody, um, but it's also not so mixed, which is what makes it so terrible. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to the Moody station in Spokane, and the message was that lock, stock, and barrel uh, conversation pointed to women. And the speaker made many jokes and said, hey, this is for women, and the most important thing you can do, and the most important thing when you're coming, uh, like waking up in the morning and preparing, is looking in that closet. And he goes on to talk about how important it is because what you wear there affects, really he was suggesting the salvation of men, and males in this case, um, and those interested in women. And, you know, very angering thought to think that you can just tell a woman no matter what happens it's it's her fault or she's the one that has control over men's hearts she has control over their salvation um, it gets worse than that really um, in the message um, because uh, on one hand you're pointing at just women but during the message he also said well why, why aren't men culpable and he went on to say well they're dumb idiots you know you know, immature and made it all very much of a joke. Um, these are the group of people that the often the the right and the evangelicals lift up as should be the chief, you know, the chief leaders, uh, the top of the house, you know, head of the household, uh, and they apparently are unable to uh, regulate their own salvation because if they see a woman wearing something out of the closet that's inappropriate, they will not go to heaven. Uh, they will only lust and just be in a terrible shape. So uh, that's terrible, but then it divulges, it divulges uh, even more because uh, he gets very pointed 
uh, the speaker and says, well, even if you think you're fat, even if you think you're ugly, you think you're over, you know, overweight, don't look good, not athletic, not a great body. He still went on to say that there's still someone out there that's looking at you. And he expanded it even further. And he said that the first time uh, people have sexual encounters, and I believe it was on the, the woman's side or the maybe it was on the, the male side, was uh, 11 to 12, I believe he said. And then he mentioned that you know men are fiends and terrible all the way to the end. And so he directed the message for women from 11 to the grave. And if you're wondering where rape culture comes from, accepting it, propagating it, that's that's where it is. Um, those are old, outdated stereotypes and tropes about women and them not being able to just be who they want to be, where would they want to be, because the other half of the population apparently is just can't handle it. And then then the worst step, the, the most damaging step the speaker took was that he cited a, a Bible verse and it was one, and I believe he misquoted it, but it was the one about the millstone around the neck that anyone who uh, persuades and encourages people away from the faith, and I believe it was actually children, but I think he applied it uh, for men. It's better to be have a millstone around your neck um, than to do with, do that, uh, what they're suggesting, by going to your closet, wearing something that's inappropriate. So on, on so many levels, so many things wrong here, and... Really, my fear is that this message is still getting out there. You know, I grew up with a, a part of this under the kind of purity culture kind of problem, um, which really presents really the most damaging things about sex is that really sex is only dirty, and then it's only presented as something that can be good in a married uh, relationship. And there's a lot of problems with that, but just to kind of hit it a few, um, is the idea that when you tell someone about something being great and it's out of reach for them, or it takes a major step to get to it. Um, there's really no way that that a, a 13 year old can get around that, because to them, as statistics show, the average man gets married at 29. Um, it might even be slightly older now. That those might be a couple of years old. So you're telling a 13 year old the only time that he can have good proper sex is when he's roughly close to 30. That that's just not going to work. Uh, women. Uh, I think they get married one year earlier. Um, but note that the average age for having sex is two years younger on both categories. Um, the thing is, it's so far out of reach marriage and making it perfect um, that it's it's just not a, it's not a, a strong way to approach talking with a youngster uh, to talk about this thing that's so far out there that can't be touched, can't be understood. Uh, and for me, just to give a, an example, is that I don't think I'll ever get away from the thinking that sex is somewhat dirty and wrong um, and, and separated in my mind um, between something and I, something else that I, I don't even fully understand because uh, there, there's no way for me not to think that when I was growing up, I was supposed to look away at attractive women, uh, cleavage, nakedness, all those things. I spent a lot of energy barring myself, blocking myself uh, to ridiculous levels, really. I mean, so ridiculous. Uh, I when I was in fifth grade, I I didn't look at the images that they were teaching us what sex was. And I remember I had a question. I wrote it down. I sent it up, and I was so embarrassed to do so. And my question must have sounded 
improper because uh, I think it was Mr. Stallings, uh, who I hadn't have as a teacher, but he was the uh, the guy doing it for the, the boys, um, said, ah, this isn't appropriate, and threw it out when he'd gone through them all. And my question never never came up, never got an answer to it. Um, so I just, you know, it was supposed to be foreign. I took a chance. I wrote it. Didn't even get an answer. I already wasn't looking at the images or reading the materials because I thought I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> that years later, that would be the mindset. You're 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 setting this the stone, not completely the stone, but you're setting this trajectory as a young person through your teenage years into your twenties, and it's hard to come back from that. Um, it's hard to ever feel safe uh, about sex when it's it's really only dirty. It's mostly dirty. Most people do dirty. It's sex is everywhere it's always wrong but it's it's right in the place you'll never see it um that you'll hopefully never see your parents um you know and that even that you'd say is gross and terrible as a young person if you accidentally walked in on something like that um so how do these kids win uh, how can they how they can be developing in a way that they have a safe understanding of of sex uh really just one that that matches reality uh you know we're, we're talking about the bible which you could easily argue that people didn't really have sex lives. Uh, their lives revolved around the fact that maybe they were a 13-year-old girl who had just had a period, and now she's fit to be wed. We would never have that standard today. It'd be ridiculous. It's, it's even funny because why aren't there people today saying, like, well, we should follow the Bible and follow those standards? Of, of course not. We, we are just in a different time, a different culture, a different maturity level. Um, it also doesn't really uh, encapsulate the problem with getting pregnant in those days. Um, the, the belief, uh, looking back and looking at the research and what writings we can get and stories, um, it seems that about 50, 50, uh, pregnancies made it all the way to turn to have a baby that survived. So in, uh, you know, the, the more po the going back in time, Hebrews, uh, a woman, would have been very valuable having kids because on average they lost one out of two. Um, and the other part of the equation is that dying in childbirth is so common. It, there's so many luxuries we have today talking about medicine. They don't realize that women just died having babies, dying from the most mundane things that we would probably laugh about, sadly, uh, in today's world. And a lot of people, I, when I argue and talk about things, that, especially we'll get to abortion, they just can't seem to understand how different it was going back in time. And so if we're talking about the values of, of the Bible, the Hebrews, um, looking forward in time with the New Testament, and now we're here we are th you know, thousands of years later, you know, how, how can we look at sex in a safe way? Well, I'll tell you this. It, it shouldn't be telling women that what you pull out of your closet is like the most important thing you do during the day because that's a message that sends something to women that they will feel guilty for the rest of their entire lives. And I don't remember being a young man learning that, hearing that story. I know that it was, it was important. Um, it wasn't directed to me, so to be frank, I might have never gotten that direct message. Um, but I know that um, at that time, I, I probably would have bought it. I would have probably thought, yeah, be careful. But of course, at the same time, women that dressed nice that were more uh, mature physically I was attracted to and you're fighting your body already as soon as you have those those, those feelings and 
it becomes a problem because a lot of those answers and a lot of those questions that you have go out the door in that moment. Uh, so I, I'm not going to really touch on on what the, the kind of the sex piece and raising kids about sex, but I'll tell you this: you know, no daughter 11 years old should be being taught that what they wear is consideration for the salvation of all men from a from older age of you going till the grave. Like that's ridiculous. That's outdated. That's just, that's a trope. And it's just, it's a terrible message to women that should never have to feel that kind of guilt their whole life. That the salvation of men is, is on their shoulders. It's just, it's terrible. And that's kind of going back to the rape culture thing. You know, before this me too movement, it used to be if a woman, uh, let's back up. Women weren't on juries, women weren't judges, women weren't lawyers. And as time has advanced, we first had women becoming lawyers, we then had women on juries and then judges, and maybe not exactly that order in each state was different, but those are things that slowly came forward. And a part of the reasoning was, and there's court cases all over about this, that said that, well, women just aren't as rational as men and they, they're too emotional and they can't be on there. And that's a holdover that we're talking about here, that women, they're too dangerous to handle their own affairs. And so putting them on juries is dangerous. They shouldn't be judges. They shouldn't be lawyers, people in power, politicians. And when you tell people that they can't even wake up, the average woman can't even wake up and wear the clothes and be correct about it and realistic, it's, 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 uh, it's it seems, comes across to me as very crazy. Um, but the Me Too move, it was one way to cut against that. If you go back and look at some of the statistics, uh, and for those that don't know the Me Too movement, it's basically a movement that says women can be trusted when they're on the stand. That's a very simple premise. Uh, because if you go back in time, you know, juries, judges, all those kinds of things, um, it was actually troubling for a woman to be on the stand because their credibility was already at dispute because they were a woman. Completely unfair. Um, completely against really the constitution of having equality, but as those uh, listeners know that uh, the constitution was not necessarily set up to be equality of all people um, and not even all the same color, but that's a, that's another topic. But the me too movement is casting off this kind of message that I'm talking about here that comes in from the conservative side, which says that actually women can be equal and they can be trusted and that they can speak for themselves. And if you look at the statistics, you'll find that across the board, all the way for all, I mean, this is from left to right, um, men and women in just a short number of years went from saying they generally didn't understand and believe women when they were telling something about sexual assault to overwhelmingly supporting and believing. And so the, one of the biggest things about the Me Too movement is just the fact that people, men and women across this, the political spectrum, just believed women when they said they were being assaulted, sexually harassed, touched inappropriately, stalked, followed, all these things. Um, I know there was a story, and I'm trying to remember where this came from, but uh, there was women in a group talking about just what it's like to be a woman in, in kind of a city life. Uh, and they talked about, and I think there was a few men there in the room, and they talked about how common it was they're being followed home. And there was a young man that said, no, you don't get followed. And they, he of course, just didn't believe them. He didn't believe that when these women had, some of them had very unique stories of how they stayed hidden in a place for 20 minutes waiting for the man to not stop following them or, or lose them. Um, I have to remember that, yeah, sometimes women live in a very different world and we have to believe them. We have to hear their stories 
Um, that helps give us equality and helps us just to be sympathetic, understanding, um, empathetic, uh, you know, maybe at some points. Uh, because without that trust and really just love for, for women and their, their livelihoods, we're really just missing the compassion and love Christ had for all of us. And really just to be even more pointed, we often talk about Christ being there with the people who are downtrodden, who are different, who just were treated differently um, because of, it might just be their sickness, their illness, their injury, uh, blindness, uh, poverty. I mean, women were really truly on that list. And that's why there's so many messages about Jesus interacting with women to kind of stoke the fire and understanding that the ball game is changing. Well, I came here to, to change that ball game. So in sum, uh, just to bring us to a conclusion, um, if you're really, really wondering about how to raise your daughters and have your raise your, your sons, um, this is an issue you have to deal with because you might be having to fight it if your kids are in a, in a, in a school um, that propagates this culture that women can't really be trusted. They can't, you know, they won't wear the right things. It'll harm salvation for men. <coughs> and that's a, that's a challenging thing to play defense against. And so you really have to plan it. You have to have careful conversations with your kids uh, because it could be something they're going to have to deal with the rest of their lives. Um, I don't have a, a good answer for you today on that. And maybe that's something we can follow up on, on how to, how to do that. My daughter is, is five. She's really on the verge of going through so many different things, going to school for the first time. And, you know, I, I do not look forward to getting into this kind of conversation with her just to address some of these things that maybe religiosity is pr impressed on her. But I hope to be ahead of it. And I hope that a lot of the books that we read together give her a, a broad base and understanding of the world that don't feel like she has to be really just pigeonholed into one type of religiosity that means that she just can't be who she is and that she can't be a free human, a uh, free individual enjoying the love of Christ and living out her days in happiness and the love of others. So with that, I just want to wish you all shalom um, and uh, we'll be back soon to, to really cross some of the very intense uh, topics in this uh, country, which are abortion and uh, gun laws, gun rights, guns. All right. Thank you.